You are listening to Forging Employee Experience. I'm Josh Drain, joined here by Alexander Norin. How are you? Doing awesome. Having a really, really great day. I'm just so glad to be here, and I'm, I'm very excited about our guest. We met this keynote presenter at the Achieve Conference recently, and she just knocked our socks off, and so we've been working real hard to get her on the show. This is Lindsay McGregor. How are you? Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Let me tell you a little bit about Lindsay. Lindsay McGregor is the co-author of New York Times bestselling book, Primed to Perform. How to Build the Highest Performing Cultures Through the Science of Total Motivation, or TOMO, which we'll get into. She is the CEO and co-founder of Vega Factor, a startup building technology to help organizations transform their cultures. She received her BA from Princeton University and an MBA from Harvard, which is our neck of the woods. Yeah, yes. right, right, right across the river there from Boston. We're, uh, it's uh, pretty exciting stuff. So, so Princeton and Harvard, I mean, that's... that's um, Two pretty unique experiences, I think. Tell you know, from living uh, in in New Jersey versus Massachusetts, uh, in the Princeton area and the Cambridge area, what uh, which place did you like better? Which one was more interesting and more? And, and we won't be offended. Yeah, we won't be offended. <laughs> I mean, the right answer is Cambridge, but if not, that, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're asking me to choose between two amazing experiences. Uh-huh. <laughs> All I would say is that I think the jokes against New Jersey are a little bit better. And a little bit more true. Let's be honest. (laughs) Let's let's jump right into it. We um, like like Josh mentioned, we we had the opportunity to listen to to your uh, keynote uh, a few months back, and it was just absolutely incredible. Would you mind just giving us just a, a brief overview of of some of the stuff that you talked about? Sure, absolutely. So our journey really began to try and understand how do you build a high performing culture or operating model in an organization? Because I had worked in, um, you know, call centers that were the size of many football fields stitched Mm -hmm. together and it just felt soulless and miserable. And then I could walk into one that looked identically miserable and people were fired up and passionate and deeply inspired by what they were doing. And it was the same thing whether I was in a call center or working with engineers in Silicon Valley with you know, snacks falling out of the ceiling and ping pong tables <laughs> and video games everywhere. There's this, this demotivating lag, this demotivation everywhere. And I really wanted to understand what's at the heart of it and can you build a culture that is not only motivating to people, but could you prove quantitatively that it leads to higher levels of performance and sales and customer experience? Lindsay, I actually have a, a quote here. I found this on a Slack article that you, uh, you, you had an interview with them. I just, I know it's weird to read a quote from the person who's on the show here, <laughs> but uh, I, I just feel like this is a great, just like it, it captures the employee experience and, and kind of will drive the rest of our conversation. So let me just read this. You said, I had previously thought of workplace culture as something soft and fluffy, and that if you had enough grit as a person, you could make any workplace into a great experience. And once I actually entered the workforce, I realized that was absolutely not true. So tell us about that experience and how it has driven the rest of your your motivation for for your book and for everything else. Yeah, one of the most interesting things to me is you'll work with teams of leaders and executives and they're trying so hard to be good people and good leaders and to make their workplace um, inspiring but it's just so difficult without any science behind it especially once an organization starts to scale 
So we were testing all of these different theories from psychology and hitting tons of dead ends that you know, even great people were failing at scale until we found this one approach called total motivation, which essentially comes down to something that's so simple, it's almost embarrassing, which is that why people work determines how well they work. And that you could measure the reasons why people come to work and some of them drive up performance and some of it drive down, drive it down. And I was really surprised because a lot of the motives that I used to use in my childhood were actually not the best ones. Mm. Wow. I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's really interesting to, to, to think that like these behaviors that we've had, almost learned behaviors, aren't actually working. And I think that applies to the workplace very well. You know, like, so, like you said, some of these executives are trying their best to build a culture, but we're tackling it from a completely different angle that actually is working. So, so it sounds like you spend time working with these organizations and implementing some of these strategies. Kind of give us a, a higher level view of what is, are some of those practical things that you, you share and teach. Yeah, absolutely. So the first, the first huge eye-opening moment for people is really digging into the different reasons why people come to work. And we found that there's a spectrum of reasons that range from when you're coming simply because you love the work itself to you're coming for a reason completely disconnected from the work. So your first motive would be play. Like I'm coming to work because I really love the activity that I get to do every day. For example, let's say you're an engineer and you love the problem solving of figuring out a puzzle or how you're going to architect something or how you're going to write a piece of code. You just get lost in time. It feels like flow. It's, it's fun for you. Mm -hmm. um, then there's purpose, which is when you're working because you care about the outcome of the work. And where a lot of companies go wrong with that is it's actually not about the big giant mission statement on the wall, although that that does have some effect. It's about feeling like what you do every day from nine to five really matters. Like if you personally don't show up to work, um, something won't get done that you care about. And then there's potential, which is feeling like you're somehow growing and enhancing in your career. Um, play purpose potential tend to drive up performance, but we tend to rely on these really negative motivators. So emotional pressure, Right. Guilt, shame. I grew up with a lot of, you know, you know, did you try your best? Right. <laughs> a very sort of guilt inducing agony. Yes. Um, I still have a small voice in the back of my head that does that a lot. Uh -huh. exactly. yeah. um, or economic pressure where you're doing it for reward or punishment. People saying, you know, if you do this for me, I'll advocate for you during the next promotion cycle. Or, mm. you know, you have to do this to get your bonus. Mm. Or inertia, which is when you're showing up to work today because you showed up yesterday and you have no idea why. Mm -hmm. You're going out to the coffee shop with you know, a friend and they say, why are you still in that job? And you say, I have no idea. And we've got all this fascinating data that shows that you can get tactical performance through any of these motives. So you can get people to follow a checklist or um, sh you know, just show up and go through the motions with any of these motions, with any of these motives. But if you want adaptive performance, if you want people to be creative, innovative, go above and beyond, deliver great customer experience, deliver great sales, 
um, we can prove that when you're motivated, creating an ecosystem with play and purpose and potential, rather than those pressures, you get much higher levels of results. So, and the, the science, well, it, applies it, you know, we tested it and mostly developed it with sort of huge Fortune 500 companies and with scaling startups. The, one of the most powerful moments is when you hear people think about how it applies to their personal lives. So, mm -hmm. for example, we were with um, the um, CFO of a company the other day, and before she said, you know, before I heard this research, my daughter asked me, you know, why are you going on this business trip? Like, why are you leaving me? And she said, and my typical response would be something like to put food on the table, like to pay your bills. Like, how dare you ask me this? Yeah, yeah. And afterwards she said, you know, I turned to my daughter and I said, well, I'm going on this trip because I really believe my work helps a lot of people and I have fun doing it. Um, a completely different role modeling for her family on what gets her out of the bed and gets her out of bed in the morning. Mm. You know, that's, that's, that's amazing. I just play purpose and potential. That is total motivation or Tomo. We're, we're going to go ahead and tweet that and Instagram that and share <laughs> that out because it's, it's so well packaged. And we, we, when we start talking about the psychology of motivation, there is a lot of talk around intrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation. This is the first time that I've ever heard anyone talk about, you know, blending both together as total motivation. And it, cause it, cause there is a fine line between, you know, reward the carrot and the stick and some of like these these deeper motivations of purpose and potential and play so so and you talked a little bit about tactical and adaptive performance i, I want to flush that idea out a little bit more what is the difference and, and why does it matter yeah so for example we took over a bunch of retail stores for a company and they have been running all these retail stores in a very tactical way so you know, some people in headquarters came up with exactly what the strategy was going to be and what the product should be and what the, um, all the marketing campaigns. And then they gave everybody in the stores checklists saying, you know, follow these rules, do these 10 things. Here's the exact way that you should open a store, that you should talk to customers, that you should even go so far as to follow the script. And some of that tactical performance is great because it's how you codify all of your past learnings how you create scale, how you create consistency. But what they were finding is that they had doubled down on that tactical performance, the checklists, that force of convergence so much that people had thought it wasn't okay to adapt. When a different customer came in <clears throat> with a unique problem or when the policy that worked 99 times out of 100 just seemed wrong the hundredth time, the associates on the floor thought it wasn't okay to innovate, to be creative, to customize around each, each different customer coming in. That's the adaptive performance we want. And so great leaders, what we found they do is balance the tactical and the adaptive. Tactical is codifying all your past learnings. Adaptive is learning for the future. What do we need to change and grow and learn and experiment with? And when you get those two things right, you get a really powerhouse organization. It sounds like, unfortunately, or fortunately, that that is not necessarily very easy to do, right? I mean, I, I think that's what kind of separates the the mediocre from the great leaders are those that are able to to find that balance. Because if I mean, right off the bat, thinking like, how as a leader could I, how could I balance? I mean, how how do I affect whether or not someone's coming to work because they enjoy the work? You know, how can I help 
help with their purpose and help help them you know achieving their, their potential like how how does that actually happen and, and it sounds like a, a pretty daunting task for a leader to um who's looking to improve to say okay here i am now i need to make sure that uh you know we're we're consistent and we're, we're following the book, but not all the time, only when you have to, and, you know, making sure that we're being adaptive and learning. So, so how do you, how do you break that down for someone that's trying to become better so that they can start learning how to, how to employ all those leadership skills necessary to, to motivate their employees? Yeah, absolutely. Fortunately, you don't have to be born a charismatic football coach or a brilliant scientist <laughs> to figure out how to do this. Oh, Thank goodness. Josh, there's uh, exactly. hope for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's hope for me. Yes. Um, the, you know, what I used to think is that simply by being a nice person, you could get all this to work, right? I would show up on Monday morning and ask my teams, you know, how was your weekend? And say, feel free to call me if there's an emergency and ask about, you know, how they were doing. And it turns out that what I was doing was actually really quite hands-off. I wasn't being toxic and using threats and punishments, but I wasn't deeply understanding where each person found play and purpose and potential. And I wasn't building systems that created that for my teams. So when you look at what drives TOMO, uh, total motivation for individuals, the number one thing is how your role is designed and the routines that your team uses. So it's actually not your personality or your interpersonal leadership behaviors, though that does matter too. So one tip, for example, one piece that we dive deeper into in Prime to Perform is how do you create play through the way that your teams solve problems together? When we were in this retail store, we would put up big whiteboards and technology around the room where people would talk about what are the really meaningful customer problems that we're solving together. And they would put those up as, you know, big challenges for themselves. And then we would really, we would have these ideation sessions on what are all of the ideas that we could have, the experiments that we could run to solve these customer problems and help people find really deep play and purpose in tackling these challenges. You know, play is when you're tackling an interesting challenge where you're learning something right. and purpose comes when you conquer it. And so, Tons of micro experiments came from that, from how people would manage the line at the cashier's register more effectively, or how they would help a customer who was intimidated to ask a question, all the way to experiments around how they did their marketing and their store layout, which was freedoms that they've never had before, and experiments that they were able to scale up throughout their entire organization. So it can be sometimes as simple as building in routines for experimentation that can have a huge unlocking of play for a person. As you were talking, I was thinking about that, the, you know, earlier you mentioned this idea of, of inertia. Um, and I think we've all had the experience where we interact with a customer service facing uh, team at a, at a retail store or, or any other, any other location, any other, any other environment and you can kind of tell that they're just kind of there they're just um they're there because they have to and you can you can almost see the inertia the, the the lack of a desire to to change course um in, in in how they do their job so from a leadership point of view is it do you feel that it is more the responsibility of the leader to create an environment where people can break free of that just kind of mundane going through the motion feeling or is a lot of it on the employee to be self-motivated and to want to engage in play purpose and potential? You know, we've 
we measured Tomo across thousands of people and over 50 major companies. And you would find companies that seem very similar on the surface, mm -hmm. but have very different levels of Tomo. So for example, um, Apple store employees versus Best Buy employees, Starbucks employees versus Burger King employees, Lowe's versus Home Depot. You can measure the Tomo of people in these very similar environments and see huge differences based on how the whole organization thinks about building and inspiring its people. So for example, we interviewed a lot of people who had been working at both Best Buy and at Apple okay. in their departments. And the same, the same person um, in one environment felt far more motivated than the other. For example, through um, a great story somebody told us was, you know, he was, um, he was working in the Apple store and he noticed that this woman would come in every single week at the same time to a grandmother to work on building a photo album for her grandkids. And she would lug in this huge desktop computer from the parking lot to go put it, um, to, to bring into the store to take her lesson. And so he started to actually go um, wait. He realized that she came in at the same time every week. So at four o'clock on Tuesdays or whatever the time was, he started to go out to the parking lot to meet her there and to carry in her big desktop for her and build a personal connection with her to understand what the project that she was building for her grandkids. That kind of flexibility and freedom was something that he hadn't had in his many, many jobs that he had worked at before in retail and in electronics. So there's a lot about the ecosystem that you create as a leader that has a huge difference. I'm guessing all of us have been in experiences where, um, for example, Matt, you had a teacher that you loved in high school and a teacher that you hated, and you might have been a very different person in those two environments. <laughs> um, it's, we, we have this tendency to blame the individual and to think it's all on them, but the environment actually plays a huge, huge role. We found it's about 80% environment, 20% individual. And when you're talking environment, there, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, the I think the large umbrella is calling it workplace culture. Um, but as I'm listening to you give us some awesome and very practical strategies, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking it's it's almost like we can't, in the workplace, there are leaders who want the same culture as Starbucks versus Burger King, et cetera, like your example, but, but they don't know how to start it. They don't know how to see it. So what, what's, a, what's a good starting point, would you say, for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So a very small starting point is to just um, teach your team about the science of total motivation. Um, so there's Prime to Perform the book, there's lots of articles on the Harvard Business Review, there's small animated videos, but just starting to talk about where each person finds play and purpose and potential and educating your team on what that means will start to get your whole team problem solving how to create this for each other. So it won't be on you as a leader to fix this for everybody else. In some organizations, for example, they'll have us teach, you know, Recently, we taught 20,000 leaders across one company just so they had a common language and science and understanding and could start to then build their initiatives around it. The second thing as a leader that you have a lot of control over is um, going back to our retail store example. 
um, where we created a 20% lift in profitability in just eight months was by focusing on, on three things. One was play, like how do we create deep experimentation in what we do? Two was purpose. How do we make sure every action that we take has a really clear customer facing um, benefit? And three was potential. And that was really deep skill development through on the job coaching where teammates were, had really crystallized what it was they wanted to learn and were coaching each other in the flow of daily business to get better at it. And those three things are typically within a team leader's control or even a team's control without their leader. They can make huge progress. Of course, if you are able to address company-wide systems like performance reviews, compensation, organization design, your identity and your mission, those have a big impact too. But we always start with the individual and the team because you want, you, the, there's so much power in starting to change the world, the environment around you. Other people see that and see this, the impact of it and it starts to spread and go, go really change from there. Yeah. That, I mean, and that, that's, that's right on point, right? I mean, I think, I think we know that, that, there is a huge amount of help that comes top down, but if if the the managers that are that are in the thick of it, if the leaders that are that are there with their teams, uh, it sounds like there's so much that they can start on their own, even if they can't change company wide policies. It sounds like you, you, embracing some of these ideas can really help drive and and really help create that team culture, if not a company culture, that will allow for you know total motivation. Is that is that fair to say? Absolutely. I mean, we had um, somebody working on the front lines of a factory who started to teach play purpose potential to his, his shift, and then it went viral through the factory and then viral <laughs> through his leadership team. And it can start anywhere. It's really, um, really inspiring to see how you can build a movement of people that are excited for change if it's based on play and purpose and potential. That's incredible. Now, you also mentioned uh, a, a little bit earlier that it, this can apply to our personal lives as well. Now, did you mean that personal lives as, as far as like uh, individual contributors or do you mean that even outside of the workplace? There are elements of play, purpose, and potential that, that could help enrich our own personal lives. Yeah, even outside of the workplace um, because these motives explain why people do anything. So, mm -hmm. for example, think about um, a relationship you've been in, right? Maybe it was your spouse, a girlfriend, boyfriend, friendship, and why you're in that relationship. Right? And if you said, you know, I was in that relationship because we had a lot of play together, like we loved talking about the same things, or we loved going hiking together, or purpose together, like we're raising kids together, or we, we donate to this, we volunteer for the same charity together, as opposed to the relationship where you're there for emotional pressure, right? Like, well, mm, or inertia. I, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, emotional yeah. pressure would be, I feel really guilty if I sure. dump them. Right. Or you guys are in Cambridge, right? So right. it's really expensive to live here, right? I don't want to have to pay two rents. Right. Um, right. It's, it completely changes how you think about your relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's and also, on a smaller level, it makes me think a lot about why I, um, 
why I encourage my husband to do things like, is he just <laughs> coming to this brunch with me for emotional pressure? If so, I should probably find a way to do something that we both find fun later today. <laughs> Either that or he's just a really smart guy, you know? That. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, that, that's, that's wonderful, Lindsay. And thank you so much for coming on the show. We've, we've already benefited greatly, but we're just mm-hmm. trying to squeeze as much information out of you as possible. <laughs> as, as we close, is there any last gem or any, anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? It's incredible how much your motives can shift hour to hour, day to day, and how much giving them a name and talking them about it with somebody, you can create this really virtuous cycle of improvement. So I would encourage everybody to measure their total motivation. Uh, You can do that really easily on primeperform.com and start to have a conversation with your colleagues about where do you find play, purpose, and potential, and how do you bring more of that into your life? Awesome. Primedtoperform.com. You can actually take a survey and measure your Tomo. So Alexander and I are going to go head over there 100%. as soon as we can. See who uh, has the better Tomo. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it works, right? Because I want this to be a competition. You should attach a big bonus to it as well. There it is. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. So wrapping up here, Lindsay, how can, uh, how can our guests keep in contact with you? What's a good way that they can reach out? Absolutely. So Prime to Perform is available on, you know, in major booksellers. They can always reach out to me and my team. Our emails are in the book. They're on primetoperform.com. Um, we love hearing stories from, you know, people reach out from professional, from all sorts of places I never expected, from professional soccer teams to startups around the world to who are looking to really implement the stuff in their life. So we love hearing your stories. We get so many great ideas from people who are pushing this research um, and experimenting with it beyond our wildest imagination. So please feel free to be in touch. Wonderful. We've been speaking here with Lindsay McGregor. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Alexander. Great to be here. Take care.